Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn? And when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Big Bang Theory, Caprica, Arrested Development, Malcolm in the Middle are just a few of the names of the hit shows you may recognize my guest from. Alessandra Torresani is well-known for her acting and is quickly becoming well-known for her work as a mental health advocate. Alessandra, or as her friends call her, Al, openly shares that she has bipolar 1 disorder, and she's on a mission to remove the stigma associated with emotional and mental health. She speaks all about this subject on her podcast, Emotion Al Support, emphasis on the Al, where she brings on guests and they talk about all things mental health. In this episode, Alessandra shares her journey of being diagnosed when she was 22. We talk about what tools she uses to cope with her disorder, and we talk about the role rejection has played on her life. Let's face it, I don't know many jobs that have more rejection than being an actor. And we also discuss how we can all hold less judgment when it comes to mental health. We end the episode by having a fun, true-false lightning round that you're going to love. In fact, this entire conversation is so much fun. So let's dive straight in to the conversation. Alessandra Torresani, welcome to Inside Out. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm in a Disney movie right now with Inside Out. <laughs> <laughs> you are in a Disney movie. <laughs> let's let's talk about something that I'm so intrigued by, which is most of us have insights at random times in random places. For example, on a walk, going to the bathroom, in the shower. So my question for you is not what insight have you had in the shower, but what insight can you recall that you had while taking a bath? Oh, you mean every single time we talk, Billy, I talk to the entire world on a bath. For those who think this is crazy talk, welcome. No, I love being in a bath because it's very relaxing. But mostly, it's the only time that I could actually focus on one thing. If I'm in my office, you can see in the background, I got a million toys. I got things going on. I got, you know, I, I'm just all over the place. I'm a bouncy person. So when I want to host a room or I want to do a proper interview, I actually do it in a bath. And what's really funny is a lot of people now on the app that we're talking about, they all are like, oh yeah, I do my rooms and baths now after coming to my room. I'm like, come on, <laughs> like you stole that idea from me, but you know, whatever, we'll let it be. I've been doing it since day one. You know, you gotta, you gotta love the, uh, the people following. So, but yes, I love a bath, but Billy, I love a shower. That's how I do all my auditions. When I go over my lines, I tape all my lines on the glass shower panel on the outside and I do quick showers and that's how I get the lines quickly in my head because I just, you know, I'm scrubbing my head. I'm like doing the body, getting all the curves and that's how I (laughs) figure it out by being distracted, doing something else, by trying to like get the information in my head at the same time. 
I love that. Well, first of all, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So anyone copying you, just take it I'll as a take compliment. It. Take yeah. it as a compliment. <laughs> and then you know what? Somebody, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and they told me about this thing called aqua notes, which is you can write in the shower and it's like waterproof. So maybe that's what? another way. Yeah, I know. I was like blown away too. I haven't looked into it at all. Literally, I just heard about this yesterday, but I'm like, genius. Because we we have these great ideas. I know, right? Are you a shower person? Do you have ideas and write them down? I always have my ideas in the shower. And, and here's the why though. And and my listeners are probably a little bit tired of me hearing of hearing me say this, but our prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, uh-huh. the front part of our brain, it's the problem solving, it's the rational problem solving part of our brain. Right. Is overworked. It's constantly solving problems. It's constantly being bombarded with more and more things to work on. And it's only when we give it a break because we take a shower, we go to the gym, whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh, things start to make more sense. And you start to have those aha moments, those epiphanies. The things that you forget, finally you remember again, because that happens to me all the time. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, exactly right. And then you you have these uh, things that you couldn't figure out and all of a sudden you can figure them out. So I have a question. Why is Carrie Fisher, one of your idols. Well, um, I don't know if you do this as a video or as audio or both, but if you can see, I am just a little too obsessed with everything Star Wars. So that is first and foremost why I have a love for Carrie Fisher. But really, truthfully, she's a comedian. She's outspoken. She's a writer. She's bipolar. She spoke her truth and she gave no Fs about it. And was what it was, you know, and had was a beautiful mother and was a beautiful child to her mom. There's just so many things that I relate to and I understand. It's the closest person that I've ever researched or felt some sort of, you know, like not an attraction, but some sort of energy to where I'm like, oh, wow, I see myself in that human. The only other person that I see that in is Jim Carrey, but I'm a girl, Mm -hmm. right? So people never understood that. Like for me, all my comedy role models and people I looked up to when I was younger and I wanted to imitate were all men. And so when I discovered Carrie Fisher, it's still at a young age for me, Mm -hmm. that was like, oh my God. And then learning about bipolar disorder and and reading all of her books it was just everything seemed to fall into place and make sense mm. so what about jim carrey then what what about him stands out my god what doesn't stand out about him you know it's interesting he would do he's all about manifestation he's all about you know we are all one with the world i'm a big transcendental meditation human so is he he and howard stern too i got my howard and and uh Jim Carrey stuff over Howard here. Shrine. <laughs> Howard Shrine. I, I do. It's embarrassing. His book is next to Jim Carrey's. He always used to say he would do anything to make someone laugh, even if he threw himself down the stairs. I did that. I literally would do anything to break an uncomfortable silence, to get the energy in the room flowing. I don't care if it made me feel uncomfortable. That was how I got out of my, my comfort zone was just putting on this act, trying to make people laugh because it's the only thing that cures you. In all honesty, if you put on a funny movie, don't tell me you're not going to feel better. You know, it's just, it, it's, it is what it is. Like it just brings that, that joy. And I was an only child. So I really did anything for a lot of attention because I came out singing and dancing and I would line up my stuffed animals. I never had dolls. I was not a Barbie girl, but I had stuffed animals all over the place. And my parents, really, my mom used to let me watch SNL and stay up every Saturday, starting when I was like five years old and maybe even younger, which is crazy. But I did. And so I would VCR record it and I would watch them over and over and over and practice that whole week. And I always laughed the one that got away. And I tell this to my husband and he's mortified at this point is Chris Farley. And because Chris Farley was like my crush. He was like everything and more to me. I had never seen anything so magnetic on a screen. And I just was like, oh my God, Tommy boy, like the list went on and on for me where I felt like, oh my God, there's something there with these comedians that I felt at home with watching. Mm, Well, okay. I don't even know where to begin. Cause first of all, you must be looking at my notes. Cause like my next question is about (laughs) being an only child. 
and my son's an only child. And frankly, he's a smart kid. And by the way, he's he's now acting. So he's gotten he's gotten his first two roles. So oh yeah, my gosh, how exciting. No, and you, you had your first role at, at nine, right? At nine years old. So I mean, yes. there's, there's that parallel. So what made you want to get into acting to begin with? What was the very first spark? Well, you know, I was a very ambitious child. You know, both of my parents were CEOs of computer technology companies. And so I was expected to go to MIT, go to Wharton for business school. You know, there was a whole line of work that was set up for me. And I came out singing and dancing. And it's all I wanted to do. And so my parents, you know, I did Kumon math. I was always two years ahead in in math and science. I was like, I really was like way above and beyond smarter than I should have been in math for someone that didn't even try. But when it came to anything else, I just was not like a school person. But I loved being on stage and I loved performing. And I think that they knew that from a very young age, because as soon as I could walk, I was putting on performances for everyone. Um, And they didn't know really what to do with me except for put me in dance. So I did Taekwondo and I did dance and I ended up being a competition dancer. And I was a national jazz and tap champion and I performed all over the world. And when I was uh, about like eight years old, um, someone had come to approach me and said, hey, we want her to audition to host this kids club for the WB, and it was for the local San Francisco KOFY. Um, and it would be interviews in between all of the cartoons. Um, and so there were four or five of us that were chosen, and there were over like 250 kids that auditioned. And I interviewed everyone from the San Jose Sharks to SeaWorld, to Mayor Willie Brown. I got to interview John Waters, the director of my favorite movie, Pink Flamingo and Serial Mom, um, which I saw when I was, uh, I think, eight years old, I saw Serial Mom. So I think that you're okay if anyone knows that movie. That's really, really, really a bad movie. Um, And, you know, I got bit by the camera bug and I just loved interviewing people. I loved, I was such a curious kid and I just wanted to learn more. And probably like your son, I was around adults 24 hours a day. And, you know, my dance friends, um, I loved my school friends, but my dance friends were always older than me. I was always the baby. And I just craved being around older, older people. That was where my heart was. That's where I felt most comfortable. I didn't really feel like I fit in enough in school. I had friends, but I wasn't really shining the most that I possibly could. Um, And so my mom took me to LA, of course, to the Oakwood Apartments to experience <laughs> pilot season. Um, and the rest is history. It was like, forget about it. It was everything I loved and more. Um, so that's why it's so fun for me to go back and do the interviews on my podcast and being on Clubhouse doing interviews because it's what my origin story really is. That's how I started. I didn't start doing, you know, proper acting at a young age. I started interviewing people. That is what I did. I hosted shows. And that's why I just, I I love it. And I think that being a kid, being in front of a camera, if you really, and you have to really love to do it. And that's what I tell kids and parents all the time. If your kid does not want to die for it, please don't do it to them. Because I have so many friends that did not want to do it when they were younger. And they got forced into doing it. And now they have so much regret and and animosity towards their family for making them do this and doing it for money reasons. And, you know, it's really sad because they it took them years later to finally figure out what they wanted to do. But I don't know what else I would do because there's nothing else I want to do, if that makes sense. Mm. That was a really long-winded answer for no, you. No, it was perfect. It was beautiful. And and for many reasons. One, I relate. I, I, my son, right now, he's not interested in doing it. So we, we did mm. it. It was an interesting experience. And frankly, he kind of had what I'll call a less than ideal experience. And talking about R-rated content, he was on a YouTube show which I, I, you know, I signed in, you know, an in an NDA, so I can't, I can't actually say what show, but I'll just say that they have a very loyal following. Each YouTube video got five, six million views. Wow, it's a prank oriented show. So somebody could probably deduce what show it was, and he played a character in the show. This is their first attempt to do more of a scripted type of thing, and it fell flat. 
Um, not any fault of my son, but it fell flat. The, their audience right. didn't like it. And so I think it kind of gave him a little bit of a bad vibe. And that's the thing that's a little, I want to give him another opportunity. He's since done two other narrative pieces, which, which he enjoyed doing. But I think the time it takes, as you know, and as I know, being in the film business, it's just a long, you know, being on set is grueling. It takes hours and hours and hours yep. for what, a few minutes of time where you're in front of the mm -hmm. camera. So, you know, for a kid, especially that's hard. I'm curious, you know, you, you have a, such a, a great ability to capture the essence of somebody through an interview and as a host, why did you go the direction of, of, as you called it, traditional acting, as opposed to being more that, that host? Um, mm -hmm. And do you have a preference between the two now that you've explored both? I think at the end of the day, my preference is still traditional traditional acting. I love it. You know, I love being on a sitcom. There's nothing more fun than being in front of a live audience and doing that. Um, I don't know how great that's going to be anymore now in the future um, and how that's going to work out. But I love the hustle and bustle of being on a set, rushing to get ready, then sitting in your trailer for four hours. And then I, I, I just, I, I thrive on a set and I feel just at home. I love interviewing people. I really do because I have such a curious mind and I want to truly learn about people all the time. Um, but it's not something that I could see myself doing 24 hours a day because I like being the interviewee. And I think that that's the difference. I, I, I enjoy coming on a show like yours. It's so, I, I love that I force myself to come on your show because I literally can't even tell you, no one ever asked me to go on their podcast. I think I've maybe done a handful. I love being in the seat and not having to come up with the questions or not think about anything and being totally. able to share a different side of my story and not because it's less work, but it's because I don't feel like I talk about certain things about my story than I would if someone were to ask me a question like you do. Um, and so I enjoy doing both sides of it. But it's a fun little bonus that I could eventually see myself hosting a, you know, um, like Ellen, right? I love what Ellen did. I love how she went from her sitcom to then doing this and then she has her game shows. I see myself Honestly, maybe it's egotistical or maybe it's narcissism or maybe it's just me projecting to the universe. I see myself as a total brand and I see it not just being one little box. I see me doing all of them. And I see that truly of, yes, I can have a TV show. I can have a movie. I can have a talk show. I can have a game show. I can have an app. I can be a CEO. Why can't I do it all? You know, so I think that totally. this is just one of the many things in a toolbox. I never saw myself as um, our good friend, Donna, Donna Bowling. I never saw myself like she always says, oh, I always wanted to be Barbara Walters. I totally always wanted to be Oprah, but one part of me, you know, a, a one little section of it. I loved Kathy Lee Gifford. I always wanted to be like her, but not full time. I liked that for maybe a couple years of my life and then go on to something else or fill in as a guest host. You know, I, I'm not quite sure, but I think that quarantine was the best thing that ever happened to me because it really made me appreciate and go back to the art of interviewing and really loving. I think there's nothing better than a talk show. I got to be honest that you learn mm. more about people than you ever think you could. When I love how you talked about how you learn things about yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, someone else is asking you these questions and it, it almost forces you to kind of think through things. So I, I want right. to go back to one piece and then we'll go into the next chapter of your, your life story. And that is what else about being an only child informed the human being you are today? You know, I had to learn to be very independent, even though my husband would probably say I'm codependent of my mother. So that's probably another story. You know, I really just grew up fast, but in a great way. Not, I had a great childhood. You know, um, my family always had all the kids over at our house. That's always how it was. I never felt alone, which I think a lot of only children do feel alone. I also come from a very big family. So the cousins and everyone all lived mm -hmm. on the street. We were all together. Gotcha. I never felt, we have a very large family, but it did make me have to always be the one, you know, if we were to go somewhere, I'd always have to be the one to pick up the phone call and my mom would teach me 
okay, you make the reservation today or you talk to this person. Like it wasn't, I'm exhausted. I'm throwing three kids in the car and we're just going somewhere. It was like, no, I'm going to teach her how to be responsible and be an adult. It's funny to me because I can't imagine what it would be like going uh, to a restaurant and my mom allowing me to have an iPad. Like that was never an option. Like you were never allowed to. And yes, I didn't grow up in the days of iPads, but I'm saying like I was never allowed to have anything more than maybe a coloring book. And I had to sit there and have a conversation and talk to people and write the thank you cards and call them and thank you. And I think that that I don't know if that was her style of raising me, but it was just teaching me how to be a young adult pretty fast. And I love it. And it's why I am who I am now. And I think I would do the exact same thing that that my mom did. It was just raising a really badass chick, I think is what I, I would like to say it. She would not, she would be mortified if I said it that way, but I think that that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck keeping the iPads out of, because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I, I think that there's a ton of value in what you've just described because ultimately having those conversations as a child helps right. to shape who you who you become and how you yep. end up being the person that you end up being. So you you became an actor at nine years old. By the time you're 17, you've already completed two years of college, but you weren't diagnosed with bipolar one until 22 where you were on the set of Caprica, I believe up in- um, Yes. In Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. What were the signs before that? And and not only what were the signs, but were the signs associated with mental uh health or were mm -hmm. they or were they not? Were they were they somehow mis self-diagnosed or, or thought of something else? I'm curious what how you self-diagnosed prior to the official diagnosis. Right. I didn't. I didn't self-diagnose. You know, there were a lot of circumstances and series of events, you know. Um Starting when I was two years old, I used to bang my head against the wall and they thought she was just having a temper tantrum. Sign. Never knew that. I couldn't cross thresholds. I couldn't go from one side of the front door to the other. Sign. Um, you know, control mm. severe OCD. Uh, I have a really bad... Um, uh, you know, not like OCD, like, oh, you know, everything has to be organized. I'm probably the most unorganized slob of all time. But for me, my OCD comes in mathematics. And that's why I'm so great at math. Anytime I see a number, I have to add it all up to one like everywhere I go. So it gets very exhausting. I always had to touch things like five to everything's always in fives for me. Um, nighttime rituals. And if I don't do that, like something bad is going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. but these were things that, that no one really knew until I was about 15. I got into a state of really heavy depression. So we thought it was depression because as I talked to someone else about this the other day, it's my favorite kind of new discovery to talk about you don't go to a doctor when you're feeling great, right? You're not going to be like, wow, I'm feeling amazing today. I'm going to go in the doctor and be like, hey, doctor, I'm feeling awesome. <laughs> no. And when you're bipolar, you're when you're manic, you're feeling freaking amazing. Like your highs are so high and then your lows are so low. So I actually went into the doctor when my lows were so low, not realizing oh, okay, there might be another side of this story. So I was prescribed antidepressants. And, um, you know, that's the worst thing that you could do for someone who's bipolar because it makes the highs higher and the lows even lower. And it creates suicidal ideations. And there were a lot of series of unfortunate events that happened um, from a misdiagnosis. And I got off the medication. And I, you know, just continued to live my life unmedicated uh, and really just with anger and with with these these manic episodes that I would have almost like a temper tantrum is the way that I like to describe it when it's bad. Um, and I had my first panic attack on set and I was very lucky because no one knew except for hair and makeup because I was crying in the, the trailer. Then they had to come fix me up, you know, before I got to set. They got me a doctor and, and it was all very private and wonderful. And the doctor was explaining to me that I was having a panic attack. And I said, no, 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 you're, you're sir, you're wrong. <laughs> I have a migraine. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overworked. I definitely am having a stroke. I was convinced I was having a stroke. And truth be told, I was having a panic attack. 
And I came back to LA and I went to an acupuncturist who I'd been going to for years, who was a family friend. And I was explaining my symptoms and and certain numbness in my body and all this stuff. And he said, has anyone ever told you that you might have bipolar disorder? And I said, "Eh, no, I don't know what that is even. And he said, I think that you need to check it out. A lot of my creative clients have this. Your symptoms are pretty, you know, straightforward. I think you should go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and and said, you know, someone recommended that I come in to speak to you about bipolar disorder. And they said, well, where have you been? Because that's 100% what where you are and what you are and what you live with. And I don't know how no one diagnosed that before. Um, and so, you know, speaking to doctors throughout now, openly speaking about it, you know, it's kind of the last thing on a checklist. It's first depression can be borderline and then bipolar. So a lot of kids are, are mismedicated. And that is why so many terrible things and unfortunate events happen because of the the wrong medication. And so it's about having the conversation. So the, the key to advice that I give to everyone is if you're feeling depressed, write that down. If you're feeling amazing, you write that down. You write down every thought in a journal. You write down what you eat, what you exercise, what your feelings were, and then you bring that whole textbook in and you show them the good and the bad and then let the doctors decide. Don't just go in there when it's a really bad time. Mm, What great advice. And I think it makes a ton of sense so that you have a documented play-by-play of what's going on. Because to your point, misdiagnosis could have catastrophic consequences. And we see it time and time again in media and elsewhere that this has happened or that's happened. And who knows what the medication, lack of medication, misdiagnosis. You're a full-fledged mental health advocate today. But when this happened, you were told to hide it. You were told to not let it out, to bottle it up because you didn't. And I'm sure the people around you didn't want you to be labeled a diva, Mm -hmm. difficult to work with. And mental health was just something you didn't talk about. No. I want to talk about this conference that you went to and how that acted as a catalyst to allow you to not only talk about your bipolar diagnosis, but also in many ways, embrace it, champion it and share it so, so much that it could help others. And I think Mm -hmm. that's such a beautiful thing about your mission today. How did that conference and anything else help you shift from where you were to where you started to go? Well, you know, it's interesting because a friend of mine um, had invited me a few years before, probably two or three years before, to a luncheon that was raising awareness uh, for mental health through an organization called NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And she was uh, being honored for her work in raising awareness for mental illness. She spoke about her family. And I had never been around a room of people who spoke about mental health. And it was mind-blowing to me. And my friend brought me there knowing that I live with bipolar disorder and that I was ready to start talking about it. And I went up to one of the heads of NAMI and Katrina. And I said, Katrina, I don't know if you know who I am. You know, I'm an actress, but I live with bipolar disorder and I've never spoken about it, but I'm so moved. I would love to help out if there's anything that I can do. So I sort of did a few videos here and there for them, but not really openly sharing as much as I could. You know, I I did a few of their charity walks and I did some luncheons, but it wasn't really my full story. And I uh, went to a sci-fi convention in which was in Brighton, England, and it was for a show Lucifer. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, Shout out to Star Fury, uh, Sean Harry, my favorite. He runs it. He does the best conventions. I hope we get back. He's the only convention company that I go to. I won't go to others. I'm not. This one's a very intimate. It's small. It's wonderful. And I went there for Lucifer. I had done one episode and no one really wanted me there because I had only done one episode. But John invited me because another girl who was on Lucifer at the time um, was on Battlestar Galactica and and we had worked together before. And so it was kind of fun. Oh, these two Cylons that are now on the devil show. Let's bring them together. And I went and no one wanted me there. I cried every single night. I was just like, what am I here for? This is so lonely. And Sean was like, it's fine because the few people that love you are here. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I said, okay, okay. You know, 
So I had to do a panel with, oh God, I forgot his name. And he, he was on another show, maybe Constantine or something else. And he unfortunately couldn't make it. So the panel was just me. And then Sean Harry filled in to interview me. No one showed up. Billy, I mean, maybe 15 people showed up to this, this thing. And it was supposed to be hundreds. Right. They're all in the main room, you know, getting autographs from Tom Ellis and all of these huge stars. And they're asking me some funny questions about Caprica, some questions about Lucifer. And uh, they asked me, oh, what was it like being on Lucifer? Billy, I worked on one day. I couldn't even tell you what the show is about or what my role was about. I forgot I was on the show, you know? And I'm like, I'm sure I played a drug addict. Like, I don't know, you know? And I got really uncomfortable because the question stopped and I was supposed to be speaking for an hour and it had only been about 10 minutes. Mm. And so I raised my hand and I was like, hey guys, here's the conversation. We have no other questions. I'm Alessandra and I'm bipolar. Does anyone want to talk mental health? And I wow. did it out of such insecurity because I was literally going to vomit on the stage. And I had been such uh, emotionally drained and people started talking. And they started coming forward. And then those people went to the main conference and said, oh, my God, she's taking questions on mental health. She lives with bipolar disorder. Come in here. Mm. From there, a girl pulled me aside afterwards and little trigger warning, but uh, she had shown me her arms and she had shown me scars from where she had self-harm. And she said that I know that you did not do this to yourself and that you do not have the same feelings, um, but you spoke about your rage and that you punch mirrors and you throw phones and you love, you know, throw on technology. And I didn't know that someone on TV needed the release that I did. And so when I heard that, I thought, how could I ever keep this ever in my back pocket anymore? Why am I not speaking about this? Because I don't even remember this woman's name, but she completely changed my life because she had the bravery to be open and honest to someone that she didn't know to physically show where the harm was and where the issue was. And tell me that it was okay. <laughs> she was letting me know that it was going to be fine. It was just mind blowing. After that, I started posting on my Instagram nonstop. And about two weeks after that, I had uh, a company who had reached out to me that said they were doing a mental health panel with in quote unquote influencers. And I don't mean influencers, but I'm going to say that because it was, you know, people from the ad council to NAMI to my best friend, Britt Bronson, who runs a huge organization called Space Movement. They had people who just had a voice that could bring mental health to a platform. And we all got together and they said, you love to talk. Why don't you have a talk show? And I said, it's my dream. And they go start a podcast. And so two weeks later, I started the podcast and had it released a week after that. Yeah. Wow. I got chills. I got chills. <laughs> you told that story. Billy, and, I'm a talker. You got to stop me. No, you're great. Are you kidding <laughs> me? And and first of all, it's so appropriate that it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So I'm going to fast track release of this episode to make oh, sure that yes. during the month. And your shirt, I don't, I can't see what it says at the bottom, but I'm guessing it says oh. feels. Okay. Feel it your does. Feels. It's what yeah. I always say. Feel your feels. Right. Which is my next question. What does that mean? Oh my gosh. Thank you. I love this. Feel your feels to me is something that I always say. I always seem to say it in every one of my clubhouse rooms, wherever I possibly can, because I feel that we hide our feelings and we don't embrace all of them. I have had so many people, listeners of the podcast, people have come in clubhouse rooms, people on the street that I've met when I open up about it, and they're afraid to cry. They're afraid to be angry. They're afraid to be sad. They're afraid to be frustrated. You know, we always say, oh, embrace being happy. And there's this toxic positivity that's always around, you know, mm -hmm. force yourself to smile. If you smile and you laugh, like your energy is going to change. Sure, that's great. But when you have a chemical imbalance and that chemical is floating around in the brain and it's messing you up, you can't always just fake a smile and act like it's okay. So I want you to feel all of your feels. If you're feeling angry, 
Go for it. Embrace it. As long as you're not hurting anyone else, embrace that anger, feel that frustration and put it in a ball and put it to something else and then pass that ball and go to someone else after that. So I want you to feel it. If you're going to cry, embrace that cry, cry like you've never cried before. So I want you to feel your feels every single one of them. I'm glad you used the word embrace because that's something that I've thought of as I was learning more about your story. It dawned on me that you've really embraced who you are and everything, right? About you, including being bipolar. Do you consider it in some ways a superpower? I I, I wonder if it, it if it's something that you like know, Kanye West, Billy. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I I just interviewed Tiffany Yu, and she had a um, you know, when she was nine years old, she had an injury. Her arm is paralyzed, so she's disabled, but wow. she owns being disabled, and it's her strength. It's her superpower, right. and she's now an advocate for uh, disability. She's got a you know whole mission now is to help people, but she's she's completely done a one eighty. She was for years and years. She hit it. She didn't talk about it. She suppressed it. And now she owns it and it's become a superpower. So I'm wondering if something similar, because clearly, you know, let's face it in as an actor and somebody in the creatives there, I I would say that there's probably some, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I would say there's probably some ways that you've been able to channel your emotions into your craft. But I'm wondering just holistically in life and in your craft, do you identify it as a superpower? You know, I do. I do. I think it's funny because that's what Kanye West said. So I always laugh about that, that he says his bipolar is uh, is a super ha- superpower. But I do believe that. And I don't know if it's a superpower in a superhero kind of way, but it makes me who I am. It is a piece of the puzzle that makes Alessandra Alessandra. Um, and it seems to be the one thing in my life that has been able to, and I don't mean this, this is going to come across like, I'm a God, but it doesn't mean it like this. But it's been, I'm a God, I'm a God. But it's the one thing that I have been able to use and speak on and share that has helped and affected other people. Just like hearing Carrie Fisher, right? What she was bipolar. And then I knew that I was, and I held this a secret. And I was like, wow, Princess Leia lives with the same thing that I do. I can be as brave as Princess Leia, you know? So it's, it's just reminding yourself of that. And I'm not saying it's because of my acting that, that, I'm better. That's not what I mean by any means. It's about finding something to relate with one another. I think it, I find it very hard as humanity to relate to famous people unless that there is something that's quirky about them, right? That's unique and special. And so this is just kind of that unique, special thing that I was born with that the other unique, special people out there who understand what I live with will know that they aren't alone in this and that they can thrive and they can succeed and and keep on keeping on. So totally. yeah, I do think it's a superpower because it makes me special and unique and, and be able to have a voice for the voiceless. And hey, it makes me fun. It makes me wild. It makes me crazy. It makes me unpredictable and spontaneous and wild and a good time, Billy. I'm a good time. You are. No, and ever since I've met, first met you in every interaction that we've had you bring a smile to my face there's your energy is infectious how you show up and everything that you just described is 100% true i think there's so much that we can identify and some may say you you, you called it special which i like and you know superheroes all have their 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 would they call it a flaw, right? But I think it's right. something special, right? Yeah, is, totally. Oh, so interesting. Okay, so as an actor, I mean, I grew up in LA, like you, uh, like uh, you've been in LA for a long time, I, and I've grown up in LA. I've been in LA my whole life. I've been in the entertainment business. I've made a movie. I've worked with a lot of actors, a lot of actor friends. I know how hard it is. I don't think there's a job out there that faces more rejection on a regular basis than being an actor. So I'm wondering how rejection plays a role in your life especially in light of your own mental health has mm-hmm. has it helped your mental health has it hurt and and how does rejection specifically rejection as an actor uh how has it played an influential role in your own life great question billy you know i think that it's funny i don't 
know what it would be like to be in a job where you weren't rejected 99.9% of the time. So I, I, you know, I have to give it off to, to, you know, hats off to people who are in the business that come into it when they're older, because I can't imagine what it would be like to be rejected as an adult. I think when you're young, you get used to it and it doesn't feel as personal. Mm. And don't get me wrong, it feels personal every single time now as an adult, but I kind of, (laughs) and I don't even know what the tools are to say these are my tools, but I feel that there is something in me that was used to it my whole life to keep on going. And I truly think that it's not even as an actress that I learned that. I think that I learned that as a professional dancer because I did competitions every single weekend. My garage is filled with three giant boxes of trophies that are like three feet tall and up why I keep them because I'm a hoarder and someday someone's going to call me on that show. Um, I'm sure it's going to happen, but I think that I was such a, a perfectionist and I wanted to make sure that I would give it 150% plus a hundred every single time I performed. And I think that that's what I did for acting. Is I and I and it hurts, right? Because it's personal, right? If you're getting rejected, but at least I know that I did as much as I possibly could. And at the end of the day, it's mostly luck. I learned at a very young age when I was like 17 years old when I tested for a show and I was the favorite. And the head of the network said no to me because I reminded him of his ex wife, you know. And you learn, wow, like it is so. You never know. And that's what I say to so many of my friends that are in the business that are like, so taking it so personally, I'm like, yes, it is personal because you are putting yourself out there. But the odds are the choices that are made, it's not based on talent because you can look at all of the people that are famous in this business. So many of them are not talented. So many of them, it is luck. It is beauty. It is connections. It is, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. It's in the stars. So if you, you know, getting back like full circle, like talking about your son, like if you're not a hundred percent wanting to die for this, then you just shouldn't do it. But I think that I truly learned about rejection from dancing, from, from competition and being out there and being on stage solo, you know, dancing to hello, Dolly. Like that is what I did. (laughs) That was my, my big song. There's something to be said for learning things as a kid and being able to build resiliency from a young age uh, for the right. same reason that my, my wife runs a preschool. Right. And so all these kids are now wearing masks. They're used to it. They, they don't even know they're there. Us adults were like, I can't wait to get the mask off, but they're just, they they'll just know. wear it. They don't know another way. It's so true. When you're young, you have no idea how to even process it. And I think that it gets harder, you know, obviously like you're saying like adults, right? We're looking at the children being like, oh my God, but they don't, they don't know any different. I think that the only time that it's recently been, been hurting truth be told, if I'm going to be honest of when it does hurt. And I, I learned this from my friend. He told me the other day, you know, since quarantine, everything has to be on tape for your auditions. You can't meet in person. You know, if you get a little bit closer, there are Zoom calls, but mostly it's just straight to tape. And I said to Michael, I've never been so depressed and I don't know why. And he said, because you're not getting the instant gratification. You're used to going into a room and auditioning and you can see casting mm-hmm. director might be on their phone. I was laughing about this the other day with a friend who's a producer. I said, half the time you guys are on your phone, half the time you're like on your computer, you're reading our, our stupid, you know, resume. Like you can't do that at home when you go home. <laughs> half the time they're not even paying attention, but it doesn't matter if they're not paying attention or not, because you can read the room as soon as you walk in, if they like you or they don't. And mm-hmm. so you'll know I'm either going to, you walk away being like, I think I got this audition or I didn't. When you are creating art, you're creating art on a on a screen right just like we're doing right now we're videotaping it you are putting it out to the ether web and you have no idea if anyone even looks at it so you're creating something and not having that satisfaction to know if they love you or they hate you so it feels like you're doing your art for no reason and it feels mm-hmm. soulless so that is why i i get such satisfaction over being on podcasts and being on clubhouse and stuff like this because it is the instant satisfaction and the instant gratification to know like if people love you or they hate you 
you know, or if they're connecting with you, if they're not. Um, and so I think that that's, what's really important and that that's, what's lacking right now. And it's really holding people together as actors. It's like, it's the final string. It's like, you got to keep on keeping on if you're going to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, and you're, you're, you're so right because you, as an actor, I think you tend to have a higher heightened sense of emotional intelligence. And so when you go into a, a room and you're, you're able to read the room, you're able to see right. those social cues to find out is that, did this go well? Did this not go well? Um, and, and I think that's absent in the current environment. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things I want to talk about, which I'm super curious about, is you have some things that help with coping, right? So I know transcendental med, uh, meditation, infrared sauna, you, you, you're yes. dancing. But here's something. Is Howard Stern a form of a coping mechanism? And tell us why. You mean an addiction? Yes. <laughs> um, to, you know what? It's so funny, though. If I don't hear Howard's voice or Robin's voice every day, I, I feel like kind of lonely and I feel lost. It, it was the best form of learning. My mom used to play Howard since I don't remember it not being in our car. I would go to preschool and he would be on in our radio, like on the car, on the way to school. Like I don't remember him not being on. So it's a sense of comfort. It's a sense of peace and balance. Um, it's also about learning the comedy and learning about how to be a great interviewer. I think the best way for you to learn to interview is not going to school. I think it's listening listening to the best over and over and over and just hear it and have it ingrained in you. Not to say that you should go to school. I guess people should go to school, but you know, <laughs> but there is something about, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that I have to do is put on Howard just to feel that comfort. Before I did your interview, Billy, I was listening to him speak to George Takei about all of, you know, the gay sex. And I just was like, okay, <laughs> and I'm ready for Billy. I'm ready. He loves George Takei. He's interviewing seriously love that. I am so, and I am so obsessed with George Takei for years. It was like oh, my dream great. to meet him and I have not met him. And I'm just like hoping one day, but you know, it's, it's, it's that sense of comfort and it is totally part of my regime of like keeping my sanity. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. I love that. He's so important to you. And, and for those uh, that have not heard your Howard Stern room. Are, are you still doing those? I haven't seen you do those in a while. Are you, I mean, I just you know, missing them. No, no, you're not missing them. We are doing it. We were trying to figure out how to keep it more structured. It's yeah. really hard because bear, you know, for me, it's easy for me to go in there. It's not a lot of work. I, I just kind of get to wrangle my men together and, and come up with the, come up with the questions and <laughs> stuff like that and, like and be like, kind of like the mom of the group. Um, but Matthew friend and Barrett Letty, Matthew's been doing a lot of stand up every single night and going back on stage in New York and Chicago. And Barrett is like, in every animated show you could possibly imagine. So he's working all the time. So gotcha. it's been very hard to kind of like nail down a time, but we will be coming back with them and we might be actually doing them videotaped as well and putting them out um, oh, I love that. on YouTube. Yeah. Hit the bell on Clubhouse. Follow Alessandra. And Hit the bell. So, okay. So I'm going to say something. I want you to tell me what this means. We all have emotions and we all need support. What does now, that mean? Oh, you want, oh, you want me to say what that means? Well, I mean, I think it it the the writings on the wall, Billy. We all have emotions and we all need support. It's very mm -hmm. true. I think that let's think about it. We have talked about feeling your feels. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about stress. We've talked about depression. We've talked about, you know, we have emotions. You get, you know, for me, I get excited when I have a burrito. That's an emotion. That's excitement, right? When I watch a sad movie, I'm going to cry. You know, when I get in a fight with, I don't know, family, I'm going to get angry. These are all emotions, you know, but what do I have at the end of the day? I have my husband. I have my family. I have my emotional support animals. I have my friends. These are my support systems. I have Howard Stern. Howard Stern is a form of support. Whenever I'm feeling down and depressed about my life and I feel like I'm nothing and I'm, and I'm, you know, re I, I go on with the swear words and that why would I continue on doing what I'm doing? I listen to people who inspire me because they are my support to keep on going. Mm, I love it. And I, I'm so excited and frankly honored to have you on the show 
and especially recognizing the fact that your mission is so important. And I'll be blunt, before getting on Clubhouse, mental health was not something that was on my radar. It was, I heard of it, but I didn't, it wasn't something that I consciously, it wasn't in my face. I didn't think about it as much, but now because of people like you and Nidhi Tawari and others that I've gotten a chance to get to know, I realize how important it is to not only talk about it, but to remove the stigma that's associated with it. And I know that's important to you. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your mission with your show, your mission generally, like it is mental health awareness month. So what, what are the things that are most important to you? Why are you doing this? What do you hope to accomplish? I think there's a lot of things. I think the first and foremost thing is I want to remind people that mental health is just as important as your physical health. I want people to be reminded that mental health doesn't mean you have to have an illness. You don't have to have a disorder. You don't have to have a proper diagnosis. Mental health is like, you know, I don't have anything wrong with my abs, but I still want to go. I I mean, okay, we won't use the abs as an example because I don't have abs, but you know what I mean? Like I have nothing wrong with like, you know, me wanting to like run or something. I don't know the analogy, Billy, I'm not there, but you get what I'm saying, right? You know, there's nothing wrong with my, with my bum, but I would, I like it to be perkier. Sure. So I'm going to go run up a hill. You know, these are things that you do. So, you know, it's all about just making sure you're okay. But the first and foremost thing I want to say is that people need to stop with the toxic positivity. And I think that that is what is most associated with mental health. I think that that is most associated with Mental Health Awareness Month. I went to a panel. The best way that I can explain this is I went to a panel one time and it was on mental health and mental illness. And every single person on the panel was talking about, you know, oh, loving yourself and all this stuff. And a woman in the audience was talking about how she had uh, PTSD, that she served our country and that she had got PTSD from going to Afghanistan and all this stuff. And she was going through therapy and didn't know if there was anything that these specialists would say, you know, is there a type of prescription she should be on, a type of therapy, like very intense things that she wanted to learn. And I will never forget, I looked at my friend Ivana, who's in the mental health space as well. And we just were like, mind blown. This girl says, the best thing that you should do is write on your post-its, you are beautiful, you are proud, you are amazing, and put them on your, your mirror when you're brushing your teeth every morning and you'll be cured. And I thought, this is what is dangerous about the mental health community. And this is why I get so hot and heavy and heated in so many of these clubhouse rooms because there are people who are really trying to fight for the change like Nitty, right? Who is a doctor and who is truly about the mental health aspect of it. And then there are people who are not understanding what it means, the difference between mental health and mental illness, right? And those are completely different things that we are mixing together. And it's very dangerous to mix those together. So it's about really ending the stigma as to what the definition is, how we can move forward with it to not also be diagnosing people when we're not doctors. I mean, the Mm -hmm. amount of times that I hear people on podcasts and all kinds of stuff saying, oh, well, you should do this because this is what I do. And it's like, we're all different. Even if we have the same diagnosis and we're all bipolar disorder, right? We all live with this. We all don't take the same medicine. We don't all have the same tools in a toolbox. So I think it's about just bringing awareness to this conversation that it doesn't make you bad. You know, it's not evil. It's not wrong if you have something wrong with you. We're not getting mad at you if you have the flu. If you had COVID, we wouldn't be like, oh, Billy, oh, what a what a bad human. Like disassociate yourself from him. You know, no, you would be like, what are the, the what's the medicine? What are the vitamins? What is it that we can do to help fix Billy in the moment to make him better right now and feel better? And there's no cure. Okay. And like, I think that's another thing we need to talk about. It doesn't just go away. You know, my bipolar disorder will never go away for the rest of my life, but I will be able to manage it and I will be able to talk about it and help others through that way. Well, I think one of the things you're highlighting there is the judgment that's often placed on people as a result of their own mental health and which is totally out of their control. I mean, yes, there are ways that you can manage it, 
But to your point, it's it's not going away. How can we help? And when I say we, the collective, we as as human as fellow human right. beings, how can we help create a judgment free zone when it comes to mental health? I think just talk about it. Talk about it and not make it a special thing. It's interesting, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month, I love because it's creating the noise and it's creating the volume and the conversation. But for those who live with mental health illness and mental illness and mental health, you know, it is 365 days a year. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear on May 31st. So I think it's not just about bringing light to it for the month of May. It is talking about it at dinner with your family. You know, I think it's also about having the conversation with your children about it. I think that that's really important. We have to, you know, show the next generation they're evolving so beautifully. And this is just another little thing that we can talk about with them to normalize it. You know, I I think that talk about it, that it's okay. Talk about you're feeling sad. Let's go to a therapist. It's not shameful to be going to a doctor, you know, introducing them to what autism is, you know, just showing that there are so many different things that we all live with and what makes us special and unique. So I think don't stop talking about it and don't make it a, oh my God, this is something that's a secret we're going to talk about. It's a normal conversation. Do it with a normal voice and just have fun with it. Try to make light of it. And that's what my whole mission is, bringing the funny to mental health. It is funny to be crazy, you know, and let's make light and love and like just have a good time. Let's party with it. Mm. And I'm so glad you brought up having a conversation with a child, with our children, because I think that's fundamentally, you know, how do we think about this like on a macro level? Well, if we look, if we peel, if we pull back and we look at it from a humanity sort of evolution's right. perspective, how does this get better? Well, it starts by having conversations with our kids. Because when Absolutely. we have conversations with our kids, we are modeling what they will do with their kids and their Absolutely. kids and so forth and so forth. And so I think we get to a place where it's not taboo to have this conversation. It's not something that's hidden. It's not something that we sweep under the rug and say it doesn't exist. I think for far too long, and, and frankly, culturally too, I think the, there's going to be nuances from culture to culture where probably in some cultures, it's still very much in the sweep it under the rug category. And so how do we then get to that oh, point? I mean, you would be shocked. Uh, one of my friends, you know, she came on my podcast and she's from Mexico City. And she was talking about, you know, you think Mexico, right? What? right down the street from our house. Like, why wouldn't they be evolved? You know? And she said, Oh, you do not talk about if you go to therapy, it is so shameful if you go and you never would think that, right. You wouldn't think like Mexico would be like that. It's a hip country, you know? So it's, it's certain things like that where it's, you know, how brave, and I hate the word brave, but how awesome that Ivana is from Mexico City. She is famous in Mexico and she is speaking so openly about this and has a company about it, you know? So it's about about talking to everybody. And, you, and you're right, it starts with the youth, you know, with everything. Mm, man. All right, so we're going to end the show with a lightning round. We're going to call this True False. Uh-oh. I've never done this. I've never done this, by the way. This oh is, my this God, is, Billy! This is a, this is a special for you. Okay. And the only reason it's true false is I have no idea if any of this is true or false. Maybe maybe some of it is true, maybe it's all true. Okay. So I this is, you know, from a, a few sources, but one source in particular, which maybe you've seen this this video, but I'm not even going to reveal it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. Born in Palo Alto. True. Stanford. Favorite restaurant, Red Lobster? <sighs> Okay, that might have been at the time, but I have a reason why I don't eat fish. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> no, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat fish, and I've never had chicken or meat before. But I love their cheddar bay biscuits. <laughs> okay, so it's kind so of. So if we're true. gonna say favorite restaurant, I would say Paquito Moss. I eat it every single day. It's the most amazing Mexican restaurant. But cheddar bay biscuits. Okay, favorite color red. Yes. Okay. Favorite genre of film horror? Hundred. Hold on, Billy. This is for your visual audience. I have a baby Michael Myers with me at all time with a baby knife with blood. Yes. Got it. Okay. Favorite Disney films, uh, animated films, Aladdin and Little Mermaid. 
No, false. Princess and the Frog. Uh, and uh, ooh, ooh, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, good. And Aladdin. First, I like Aladdin. We'll throw that in there. Okay, we'll put that in there. Okay, first call. Yeah, and you're not going to fin me if these are false. That's why I'm doing true false because I have no way of vetting this. Okay, first car, BMW convertible. Yes. Okay. Favorite crashed baseball- it. <laughs> <laughs> I crashed my first car. Okay, favorite baseball team, White Sox. Okay, so Billy, about that, I um, I dated a baseball player, and my family asked me what position he played, and I said I don't know. He throws a ball, and he was the um, he was the pitcher. So you know, I didn't even know that. So no, I don't know baseball, and I would say if anything, I'd go Cubs all the way. All right, there you go. More of an old soul than a not old soul. Old Fact. soul. Okay. True. All right. Uh, black belt in Taekwondo. Yes. That's a good one. Okay. We got a couple more. Play both violin and piano. I do play the piano. I did play the violin for like six months when I was five. Spoiled as a child. 100%. Okay. <laughs> afraid of ghosts, bugs, and the dark. Never afraid of ghosts. Um, afraid of the dark, but a hundred percent I'm scared of ladybugs and butterflies. So yes. <laughs> you're scared of ladybugs? They're so cute. I hate them. Nope, 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 nope. We're not friends. We're not friends. We're not friends. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Last one. I'm picking a good one. These here. are amazing. Like you could keep going. These are great. <laughs> okay. I'll keep going. All right. I'll give you a couple more. All right. Dogs, Pee Wee and Dottie. Yes. Okay. Pee Wee okay. Herman. Pee Wee Herman and Dottie. Right. Okay. Favorite actors, uh, Rachel McAdams, Kate Winslet and Claire Danes. I love Rachel McAdams. I love them, but I don't, Maybe I said that in an interview because I couldn't think of anyone else's names and their names were, were okay. you know, they were like in movies at the time. That happens a lot where sometimes I'm like, why would I ever put those people together? And then I realize like, oh, well, they were hot at that moment. So um, I love them, but I wouldn't say top. Got it. Okay. Favorite comedy, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. 100%. I'm in love with Jason Siegel. Oh, okay. I went to, I went to high school with uh, Adam Siegel as, with his brother. You went to Harvard Westlake? No, I'm sorry. I didn't go to high school with them. I went to, um, so I'm friends with him from high school years. So. Oh, how funny. Okay. So you, you know, do you know Adam? Do you know them or not? No, 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 not at yeah. all. I never met him. I, yeah. And, and baseball and all that for growing up in the Palisades. So, okay. So favorite horror, House of a Thousand Corpus, Corpses. Corpses. Yes. I would say my number one though is Halloween and that would be my second. Okay. Did you date Rob Kardashian? No, my best friend did. And ever that was the best rumor that ever happened to us. Rob is like <laughs> a brother that I known since I was 12 years old. And he dated my, my best friend still to this day when we were like in high school. Like, no, he's like my brother. <laughs> okay. No. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But so that my- was a funny moment. I was like, I am not with a Kardashian. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's so funny. My my brother went to school with um, the Jenners. Yeah, he went to school at Malibu. In Malibu, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so favorite musical slash Broadway show, Cabaret? Yep. Okay, that's good. Grandparents from Northern Italy? Sort of true. On my father's side, yes, from Trentino. Perfect. Okay. And, that, and that, British. My dad's mom was British, so England. There you go. Cool. So I just want to say thank you, first and foremost, and I want to say that I'm so glad that we're going to be able to release this this month. I want to give you the final word for anybody out there that wants to do a better job of being an advocate like you are for mental health and to help spread the message. I know we've shared a lot, but what's the final word that you want to share to help others champion the cause that you so beautifully do on a daily basis? What can, what can the rest of us do to, you know, make sure that we are, we're standing in line behind you and, and doing everything we can in our power. I love that. I would say support. Support is the most amazing thing. I think that I always encourage people to ask the question, how are you really? The really part really makes a difference in the way that people will respond to you and how they open up. I think that, you know, 
I always like to say this. If you are living with a mental illness or you have mental health or you have family or friends, if you are ready to share your story, please share it. But just know that questions will be coming in. People will be coming to you to get advice, to get help. It's a lot of responsibility. So you have to emotionally yourself and mentally yourself be prepared for that. But just know when you do that, you will save a life. So just show up, support, go to the, you know, walks, learn, read about it, listen to the shows, listen to the podcasts, um, do your part, share, 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 share. And I'll do a shameless plug. I have a sweatshirt that's raising money for mental health awareness for uh, suicide prevention through this amazing company, a foundation inspiring my generation. My dear friend, she's like a little sister, Francesca started this company and she just writes encouragement cards. Um, she hand makes them with, with markers and everything. And she does encouragement cards and delivers them to local mental hospitals because she knows that how lonely it can be because she was in that position Mm -hmm. and how much a simple card can really just make people want to get it going. So we created, I'm not wearing the sweatshirt right now, but we created a sweatshirt and it's a big green heart because green is the color from mental health awareness month. And it says we are not alone to let everyone know that we are a collective and we are together. So you can get that in um, my link in bio. Love, love, love that. Where else, Alessandra, can people find you? Obviously, Clubhouse is where I found you, but but where else would they be best directed to go to to find you or to learn more about, you know, obviously your podcast, Emotion Al Support, yes. which definitely go check that out and subscribe. Uh, where else would be a, a great place for them to to find more information about you or anything that you would like to share? You can just find me at Alessandra Torsani. It's a very hard one, but if you Google my name, it'll come up. Um, I'm on everything on there. And then um, it's emotional support, but it's just emotional support pod, P-O-D, everywhere else.com. And please subscribe and leave a written review. Um, no one likes to leave reviews for me. And it makes me sad. And I want to know what people truly think and what their reactions are. So please let me know. Even if you hate it, I don't care. Leave me a mean one. Just leave me a review. <laughs> but Billy, I want to thank you so much for letting me come on your show. You are such an incredible host. Every single time I'm in a room with you, my husband will be like, oh my gosh, he's so eloquent. He's so well-spoken. He answers all the right questions. I mean, asks all the right questions, answers them all so beautifully. And you really engage in the audience, the speakers, the moderators, and you make sure that everyone is heard and seen and feels loved. So mm-hmm. you are a prime example of how to be an incredible host. And I just want to honor you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I I'm speechless and tell your husband, thank you as well. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Look, we all have emotions. We all need support. Don't be afraid to feel your feels. Yes. Because ultimately we're all one and we're in this together. Alessandra Torresani, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.